If we understand the context of our existence, we are just a small pop-up on this planet and will pop out. If you are very pleasant and you have a profound experience of life, you have a right to do nothing, absolutely nothing. The Icons is a show where we have life-changing conversations with iconic people in iconic locations, exploring the advice that has allowed them to have an impact on the world, not just for a moment, but over time. And today, there's no other way to say it, it's a big day. Our conversation today is with Sadhguru, Indian yoga guru, modern mystic, and a globally recognized proponent of spirituality. He's been teaching yoga in southern India since 1982. He's the author of several books and speaks around the world reaching millions weekly. In 1992, Sadhguru established the Isha Foundation, which has touched the lives of over 200 million people, has over 300 locations around the world, and is supported by over 10 million volunteers. Today, Sadhguru is joining us from the Isha Institute of Inner Sciences. Sadhguru, welcome to the Icons by Motiversity. Namaskaram, good morning, Taylor. Good morning. What an honor to have you on our show. Please tell me. <laughs> We've been listening to you for years, and so have our Motiversity fans. One of the things you speak about and that feels important to many of our listeners is time and the fear of wasting it. Now, I've heard you talk about time and energy in a, in a different way, and it's really impacted me. So, what can you offer those who are worried about wasting time? Oh, they're doing great if they're wasting time. Because <laughs> if, you, if you're against uh, wasting time, that means you're against meditation. Time is uh, not something that you use. Time is the basis of your life, your life is time. So, should you necessarily do something? That's an individual choice. Right now, <laughs> to put it into some kind of a context, see right now there's an ecological disaster looming across the world, there is a climate issue, well, I don't know Italy temperatures, what they are. I should be in Italy in next three weeks, so I'm concerned about the temperature <laughs> So, all this happening, all this is happening because of human ability to do things. Fortunately, fifty percent of the humanity is lazy. If eight billion people, all of them use all the modern technology and become super industrious, then uh, this planet may have just fifteen, twenty years left. Because half of them are lazy, planet is saved <laughs> I want you to understand, it's not human intelligence which is saving the planet, it's not human love or compassion saving the planet, it's human lethargy which is saving the planet. So, it's all right. Some people are lazy, it's all right. But what laziness means is, Essentially, you're trying to see the way... what you call as life process right now is, right now I can say I'm living or I can say I'm dying, because both are happening at the same time. The process of death is on, one day it'll be complete. So when you say I'm lazy, that means I will sleep most of the time, I'll sit around without any purpose to myself, that means that you are encouraging death. So this is a... Uh, as you sleep and wake up, as you eat and you get into activity, this is a little bit of uh, trying to keep the balance between life and death, trying to keep 
the whole process leaning towards life, not towards death, this is a whole effort. If you become lazy, you're leaning towards death. If that's your choice, that's your choice. Is it good or bad? It's not for me to say. Because these trees are just standing here, you may think they are lazy, but they are doing fantastic work. Similarly, even those who just stand, they also are useful. It, it, you know, I find that fascinating. I don't know many people that consciously wake up and think, I want to be lazy or I want to lean towards death. What do you think it is that's getting in the way of people's potential? Well, uh, most things that human beings do are not done consciously, unfortunately. It is mostly compulsively done and that is a whole problem with humanity. With the level of intelligence and competence that we have, the moment we function compulsively, we become destructive. If you become conscious, naturally you will curtail so many of your actions because they are absolutely unnecessary. Either you're trying to be better than somebody which you can never be and uh, or you're trying to do something in competition with the rest of the world, wanting to prove some nonsense that nobody is uh, convinced about anyway. And all these countless number of people who existed on this planet before you and me, all those idiots also were doing the same thing. But where are they now? They're all topsoil. You and me also will be topsoil after some time. So, we have a brief moment of life here. Both in terms of time and space, we occupy just a speck in this cosmos. So, let's not think too much about ourselves. If we understand the context of our existence, we are just a small pop-up on this planet and will pop out. If we know this, keeping your life pleasant, profound, if necessary, in action, impactful, that is a choice. But keeping yourself pleasant and making the experience life of experience of life profound, whether you do it with activity or without activity, that's an individual choice. But to do it without activity is much harder than to do it with activity. Most people who are lazy are also bitter about something. There's, there is no sense of profoundness to their life, they always feel insufficient. That's not the way to live. If you are very pleasant and you have a profound experience of life, you have a right to do nothing, absolutely nothing. I find that a really helpful point. I think one of the things that drives people oftentimes when they're not wanting to be lazy is that they want to compete. They want to, they want to surpass somebody else or surpass something that's in their mind. But it sounds like what you're saying is that one of the best ways to get over that, to, to stop being lazy is to actually not focus so much on yourself and to not compete. No, I'm Just not like saying that. don't compete, compete or whatever. Essentially, you're thinking life is a race, right? This is coming from the understanding that life is a race. If life is a race, what is the goal? You must get to the finish line faster than others. You know what's the finish line? You want to get there sooner than me? I, Don't do that, man. I, yeah. <laughs> that, sound, that finish line sounds like death. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Finish line is death. So if you want to win the race, you must go ahead of me. Please don't do that. I am older than you. Let me go first, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> this whole nonsense about wanting to be better than somebody is happening because you have not found any sense of profoundness in your own existence. If you pay enough attention to life, 
then you will see, when I say life, life is a, an explosion happening all around you. Not just, you see, the basic misunderstanding is, when people use the word life, they are talking about their work, they're talking about their family, their relationships, their wealth, their money. No, these are all accessories, frills to life. Frills are fine, only if you have a skirt, frills are good. Otherwise, it's an embarrassment, all right? Right now, this is the situation of the modern world. People have too many frills, but no skirt. There's no profoundness to life, too much decoration. Where will it go? It will only lead to more frustration. They are saying in United States, which is the richest nation in the world, on an annual basis, about 120,000 people are committing suicide. A whole lot of them are below 35 years of age. I don't know the exact percentage, but a major percentage are below 35 years of age. Why are they doing this? They are doing this because there is no sense of profoundness. There is no struggle for survival. Survival is taken care of. Now you need profoundness. If there is no profoundness, you wonder why are you alive? Well, uh, the Europeans, or rather the English have made this question very popular, to be or not to be, as if that is the most intelligent question to ask. I am telling you, if you are right now, you wake up in the morning and you're blissed out, do you ask to be or not to be? Only a miserable person asks that question. Essentially, when you ask the question, to be or not to be, what you are saying is a brief moment of life that you have on this planet, you are thinking whether to cut it short further. This is because time is a very relative experience. On a given day, you're very joyful. Have you noticed on that day, twenty-four hours, poof, went, went off like a moment? Another day, you're miserable or de depressed, twenty-four hours feels like ten thousand years. So only miserable people can have a long life. So those miserable people raise all these kind of questions and make it like it's some great philosophy. Life is not a philosophy. Philosophy is a silly explanation to a life which is a phenomena beyond all explanations. You can only experience this. You can't deduct it into your philosophy. The moment you deduct it into your philosophy, you become a constipated life. That means it happens little by little. It doesn't happen like an explosion <laughs> So if to be or not to be is, is not the question, are you saying that there's a better question or, or just to let those questions go entirely? Uh, these questions are essentially coming to you because you've not tasted life. You have misunderstood your psychological process as life. You misunderstood the psychological as the existential. That's why such questions come. And I find what's interesting about your teachings is that you're part of the modern world as well, but somehow you've been able to tap into, offer, explain in ways that we can understand, hopefully, ancient wisdom. What was no, the no, 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 no. Let me, let me stop this because... Uh, See, people think always wisdom is ancient. That means only dead people had wisdom. This is a very sad story because people are reading, trying to uh, come to wisdom through books. Most of the scriptures were written by dead people. I, I mean to say, at least now they're dead. <laughs> Not they were written by dead people, rather. It is written by people who are long dead. And we think wisdom, wisdom could only happen in the past. That is a sad story for the individual human being who thinks so. 
people are beginning or people have been cultured to think that all the smart people existed only two thousand years ago. Do you believe that? You believe that human beings are far more intelligent thousands of years ago than they are today? Uh, that may be true with some individuals <laughs> or another reason why you such… come to such uh, conclusion is, in those generations, only those stellar human beings who excelled in something, you only hear of them, you don't hear of the common lot. Even today, that is the same truth. Maybe in another generation or two generations, only a few people will be remembered and then you think, oh, in twenty-first century everybody was fantastic? No, you only remember those few people. So, don't ever think wisdom is ancient. Wisdom has to be contemporary, otherwise what use is that wisdom? And how did it materialize for you? Did, did you learn what you teach or did you discover it? I have neither learned nor discovered anything, I'm alive. So what is life I see? Let me make this very clear for all those people who are thinking uh, some fantastic things about me. I know only one thing. I don't know too many things, I just know only one thing. Today even a five-year-old five year child claims to know hundred things. I know only one thing. I know this piece of life from its origin to its ultimate. I only talk about this life, but the world assumes I'm talking about them, because fortunately life is made the same way within them also, on the surface. See, your head is shining beautifully, like a full moon, mine is not. But deep inside, both lives are made the same way. When I talk about this, plants think I'm talking about them, the worms think I'm talking about them, every other human being thinks I'm talking about them. I am only talking about this because this is the only thing I know. And actually, this is true even for you right now, because you don't know anything other than what happens within you. See, right now you think you're looking at me through this video. No, it is entering your lenses, going an inverted image in the retina, you see this image also only within you. You've seen the entire world only within you. Everything that you saw, heard, smelled, tasted and touched happened only within you. If you touch somebody else's hand like this, you think you're experiencing their hand. No, you're only experiencing the sensations which happen in your hand, isn't it? If your hand goes numb, if you touch something, there is nothing there, all right? So your whole experience of life is only happening within you. If you know this life, in… in reflection, you know everything in that sense. But actually you know only one thing, rest is all imagination and that imagination has no fundamentals. Fascinating. So. Where do you draw your inspiration from? Do you just draw it from within, from yourself, or do you find inspiration? I, I'm in not inspired. I'm things? a very lazy guy. People keep me busy. What the hell to do? <laughs> I am not inspired about anything. I'm very lazy, but people are not letting me enjoy my laziness. They just keep me busy. So I stay lazy in my head, nothing happening in my head. Physically, I'm active in the world. So, this idea of being inspired means you're motivated. That means in some way you're prejudiced. No, 
life is happening exuberantly within you also. Your heart is beating, right? Check, check it out and tell me. Feels like it. Heart is beating, lungs are operating, liver, kidney, spleen, every damn thing is working. How much work is happening? So, does it need any inspiration? No, it just needs some ingestion to keep it alive, that's all. So, once you're alive, aliveness is exuberance. So, I'm exuberant and still at the same time within myself, on one level, I'm absolutely still. Stillness can be socially transmitted as laziness. I'm absolutely lazy deep inside of me, I do nothing. On the surface, I'm exuberant. If there's something to do in the world, I do because I have nothing to gain, nothing to lose anyway. Anyway, nothing to gain, nothing to lose, so what is needed, you do. So people think I'm inspired, no, I'm not inspired, nor am I motivated by something, no. When you're joyful and blissful by your own nature, what to do? You will do what is needed. If you're miserable, you will be in pursuit of your happiness. If you're <laughs> constantly blissed out, then what do you do? You do what is needed. Whatever people ask, Sadhguru, what about this? Okay, let's do it. What about that? Let's do it. <laughs> when you do something, you better do it well, so do the best that you can. But I think that's the question that a lot of people have is, how do they know what's needed? How do you know what's needed? There's probably a lot of demands for your time and energy. How do you know what's a priority? Uh, see, everybody knows what is needed in the world. The most important thing needed is right now, we need pleasant human beings. Where should it start? With yourself. <laughs> At least you become peaceful, joyful, loving. At least this much you become. Rest we will see what to do. This… because there's only one problem on the planet, human being, isn't it? Human being is the flower of evolution, the peak of evolution. In terms of life, the heap of life that is there from microbial life to complex manifestation of life on this planet, you are on top of the world. But human beings are not experiencing their life like they are on top of the world. They are in the depths of misery compared to any other cre creature. All other creatures, if you just provide them with the food that they need, they are all fine. A human being is miserable if he doesn't have food. If you give him food, he will feed his misery further. Simply because for all other creatures, nature has fixed their way of being. Nature has fixed how they should be. How a grasshopper should be, how a tiger should be, how an elephant should be, nature has fixed at least ninety percent of their life. Only ten percent latitude may be there for individual animals to find some expression for themselves. But in the case of a human being, a human being comes largely unformed. Only ten percent is fixed, ninety percent is left loose. This is what human beings are suffering. Human beings are not suffering their bondage. Human beings are suffering their freedom. You are free to make yourself whichever way you want. See, no other creature on the planet is referred to as a being. Only you are referred to as a being. That means you know how to be. If you know how to be, would you like to keep yourself in the heights of pleasantness or unpleasantness? Tell me. Pleasantness. Pleasantness. So all the advertisements are about this only because people have given up how to be pleasant here. They are trying to export themselves somewhere and there are advertisements saying somewhere up there, 
there is a heaven where the utmost pleasantness will happen, peace will happen, joy will happen, bliss will happen, love will happen, everything is up there. This is because you have given up that you could be pleasant here <laughs> So if you export everything that's wonderful about a human being to another place, the world doesn't become better. We need to understand that whatever qualities that you're ascribing to God and whatever else that you have imagined in your mind, these are all qualities which are very essential for a human being to live a sensible life on this planet. So everybody knows this, that they need to be pleasant. It is not an idea or a philosophy, it is a longing. Life is longing to be experiencing life pleasantly, isn't it? You want to be peaceful, see it's like this, pleasantness means what? If your body becomes pleasant, we call this health. Do you want it? Ask all your people who are uh, looking for inspiration, do they want health? Of course, of course. They must say… No, they don't say of course, you must say clearly yes. Because in of yes. course there is a, you know, a latitude for no <laughs> You want health. If this body becomes very pleasant, we call it pleasure. That also you need? Yes. If your mind becomes yeah. pleasant, we call this peace. Yes. If it becomes very pleasant, we call it joy. That also is needed. If your emotions become pleasant, we call this love. If it becomes very pleasant, we call it compassion. If your energies, your life energies become pleasant, we call this blissfulness. If it becomes very pleasant, we call it ecstasy. If your surroundings become pleasant, we call it success. Only to create pleasantness in your surroundings, you need the cooperation of the people and the forces which are around you. But to create pleasantness of body, mind, emotion and energy is one hundred percent your business. If this much everybody takes care of, then what to do in the world, we can see. If there's something to do, we will do, otherwise let's take a walk, let's climb a tree or go swim or just sit still, do whatever the hell you want. But the important thing is, your life should be pleasant. Once you're pleasant, you're not satisfied that with that, you will want profoundness of experience. Then you make your life profound. If it's pleasant and profound, you'll have no need to do anything. If something is needed, you will do it. If nothing is needed, you can sit here joyfully. What's the problem? I've heard you talk about before that we become our own issues and that part of your work is to try to help people stop being their own issue. I, I don't know many people that again wake up and think I'm going to try to get my own way today. So why, why does that happen? See that is happening mainly because the moment you identify yourself with something that you are not, when I say something that you are not, are you Italian? I'm not. You're not. No, no, which nation are you from? From Canada. So the identity goes like this, it starts with your body, then it becomes your gender, then it becomes family, then it becomes society, then it becomes community, then it becomes race, religion, nationality, like this it goes on. Apart from that, you get identified with the clothes that you wear, about I am identified with my hair, you lack of hair, whatever <laughs> I'm saying, every damn thing that you touch, you get stuck to it or it gets stuck to you. I want you to imagine your life, everything that you have touched till now in your life, people and things 
let's say all of them are heaped up over you, how burdensome will life be? You cannot even move. That's exactly what's happened to people because they are identified with so many things. Whatever you identify with, your intellect always tries to protect that. If you just tell yourself, I am Canadian, I am Canadian, I am Canadian, after that, suddenly your emotions are in that direction, it may not be manifest. If you just see one piece of cloth which we call as flag, tears will come to you. Hello? You're willing to fight, you're willing to die for it. This is the way the construct of human societies is based on identity. What yoga means is, the word yoga does not mean twisting and turning and <laughs> appearing like a leftover noodle, all right? Yoga means union. Union means to become one with everything. Becoming one with everything is not your or my philosophy. You're breathing, right? I'm checking again one more physiological parameter. You breathing? I am. That's very good. <laughs> so, if you're breathing, what it means is you're becoming one with the atmosphere around you. What you exhale, the trees are inhaling. What they exhale, you're inhaling. Literally, one half of your lungs is hanging out there on the tree. How come you don't see it? Because your psychological process has overtaken your existential process. Otherwise, is it difficult for any human being to see this? When they breathe, they understand they are one with everything. If you close it, you will die. Is it very difficult to understand this? Everybody knows this, but their nonsense in their head is overruling everything else. Their own thoughts and emotion has become larger than the cosmos, more significant than the cosmos. That is the whole problem. So the moment you're identified with something, your intelligence is hijacked. It has become a prejudiced intelligence. Because of this, you become an impediment in your own life. There are thousand challenges in the world, but you should not be the problem, isn't it? In your life, if you're not the problem, you will become a solution to the world. This is all yoga means, that you are never the problem. Your body, your mind never comes in your way. They are the stepping stones upon which you must climb. But unfortunately, they have become quicksands into which people sink. And their whole life is dedicated to take care of their bodily and psychological needs, everything. Just look at this. The whole society is structured like this, to take care of their food, their sexuality, their psychological needs, their entire life is structured on this. This is a crippled humanity. Huh. You know, as you talk about identities, I can see myself in my head starting to think about all the things that feel like they're the labels that I put on myself. So it sounds like you're saying that a lot of the issues that we face, you know, I would label it as I, I procrastinated or I, I didn't get what I needed to get done that day. You're saying a lot of that actually boils down to identity, is that right? See, identity determines in which direction your intellect moves. Suppose you convert yourself, don't do that, we already have enough population. Suppose you make yourself into an Indian tomorrow morning, okay? Suddenly if you look at the Indian flag, tears will come to you and you're willing to fight and die for it. So this is just what is made up in your mind and the whole society, society is supporting it. I am not talking against, nation against nationalities, it is right now needed to administer and manage the world, that's a different matter. But as life, it means nothing. You were not born as a Canadian, 
nor do you die as a Canadian, you live as a Canadian, that's up to you. You can take on identities for functional purposes in the world. We need identities to function in the world, otherwise how to function? We need identities, but this is a persona. The word persona, the personality comes from the word persona, which used to be in ancient Greek drama, they would, you know, the same person will be playing many roles. So, I will hold uh, one particular role, whatever that is, I'll hold a mask in front of me like this and speak like this man. And next I'm playing the other man, so I take another mask, hold it like this and do. All this is good only if you can keep the mask down. If the mask gets stuck on your face, that's misery, that's all that's happening. You know, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about a lot of our audience would be twenty-year-olds who, you know, in fairness in this modern world have a lot of forces pushing and pulling on them, a lot of influences and a lot of things that are driving identities. I thought twenty-year-olds have nothing much to bother about, life is good, they're young and bursting. Let me tell you the advantage of… Nice? <laughs> uh, advantage, an old lady was uh, approached, uh, she was hundred and eight years of age. So a journalist asked her, what is the best thing about being one-not-eight? She said, no peer pressure. Is that what they're talking about? You still have friends, that's what you're complaining about. When you're too old, all your friends will be dead <laughs> They're complaining about having friends. When they don't have friends, they will come... No, I'm saying they, they will complain when they don't have friends. See, right now we made mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. like this. If you are a toddler, you have diaper problems. If you become an adolescent, you have hormonal problems. If you become middle-aged, middle-age is a crisis. If you become old, it's horrible. Tell me which part of your life is good. <laughs> Don't make everything into a problem. These are different stages of life. You can either ride that and enjoy it or be crushed by the same thing. This is the process of life. Physical life is a natural cycle. Everything that's physical is a cycle. Whether it's an individual atom or the cosmos, everything is cyclical. That's why physical is possible. So physical existence is cyclical, whether you like it or not. So when something is rolling, you can either ride it and enjoy it, or you can be crushed by it. If you're driving a car, oh, you're in Italy, if you're driving a Ferrari, how nice it is. and. If uh, some squirrel or uh, some other animal gets run over, is that very nice by a Ferrari? So it all depends whether you're riding it or being crushed by it. Life is a cyclical process, you just have to learn to ride it. For that, everybody has the necessary faculties to do that. Even if you're not full faculty, you still have the ability to do that. It is just that you have not kept yourself pleasant you're trying to make yourself things that you're not. As you describe that, I'm thinking back when you were talking about life and, and many of us fall into the trap of calling it a race or feeling like it's a race. I had an experience a little while ago in, in a monastery in the Himalayas where I was learning Tai Chi. And oh, that is where they shaved you up like this, the monastery. That's right, that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was so fascinating. I, they showed me a few moves, and I felt like I learned them. So I was waiting for the the teacher to show me the next moves, and they they never came by to show me the next moves. And so what you start to discover was that 
what am I trying to learn here? Do I think I'm going to become a master of Tai Chi in a short amount of time? When Western students go, that's what they're thinking. They go, come exactly. to yoga and within one week, they're already thinking how they will start a yoga school in America and make mm. money out of it and how they will become rich, become rich like some big yoga teacher somewhere. All these things they're imagining, they are not interested in, you know, enhancing themselves. Because their idea of enhancement is only accumulation. By accumulation, nothing within you will be enhanced. This happened uh, a few months ago. There was one young man running around like his uh, tail is on fire. Then I asked, hey, what are you up to? He says, Sadhguru, I want to earn a billion dollars, billion dollars. I said, you don't worry, tomorrow I'll give you a billion dollars. Really, Sadhguru, you will give me a billion? Yes, I will give you a billion dollars. He had eight of his friends with him. I said, see these eight guys, I'm going to give each one of them ten billion dollars and I'll give you one billion dollars. So, Sadhguru, Sadhguru, why they're getting ten? Are your life's ambition was only to get one billion dollars. What are you complaining about? The problem is, if everybody else has it, you cannot enjoy it. So, you have a sickness, you only enjoy other people's failures. Right from nurse, kindergarten, school, you have been taught this, you must be number one. Then what must be the others? What must the other children be? They must be all below you. So, you always been taught that joy and happiness is always about enjoying other people's failures, other people's incapabilities. This is not joy, this is sickness. If you get rid of this sickness, everything will be fine. I think a lot of people need to hear that, including me. I appreciate it. You talked a little bit earlier about, you know, you'd love to be lazy, but people just keep asking you to do things. What do no, you No, I did not say I, I love to be lazy. I said I am lazy. I am lazy. There's a big difference between loving to be lazy and being lazy because Laziness, if there is stillness in your body, that's called death. But if there is stillness in the core of who you are, then that is a source of life. There's a big difference. What's driving you next? Nothing drives me, I am the driver <laughs> That's why I drive at my own pace. But uh, generally people feel it's too fast. <laughs> so, people ask me, somebody was asking me in the Indian television, uh, national television, Sadhguru, we have seen what all you can do, but what is your one weakness? I said, speed. Whether with life or when I'm driving or I'm riding, speed is my only weakness because this is not really a weakness because life is a brief amount of time. Speed will crush time and space, all right? So, you can get from point A to point B in one year, or if you can get there in a day, that means you have 363 days on your hands. It's up to you, because it's such a brief life. So, time is so not something where there are breaks on it, you can't slow it down. It is going for all of us at the same pace. As we sit here, we are just slipping away towards our grave. So, now the only thing you can have is intensified energies or full throttle. <laughs> if you're at full throttle, you save some time, that's all. <laughs> but I've seen a, a recently that one of the projects that feels really important for you is the Save Soil movement. Why does it feel like that's an urgent movement? 
No, it's not really uh, recent, the last thirty years I've been talking about it, but people have been sleeping on it and sleeping on it. I've, wherever I go and speak, they say, Sadhguru, this is great, what you're saying is so important, and they'll sleep on it. Then I saw this soil problem is a good pillow for everybody to sleep on, I need... it needs to grow some thorns so that it wakes them up <laughs> So what do I have? I don't have... I don't hold any official position, I'm not a minister, I don't head any nation, nor do I have any kind of official power anywhere. So the only thing I have is uh, love and goodwill from, you know, millions of people. So I thought even these millions of people, they all appreciate, Sadhguru, it's great, this soil thing is really fantastic, Sadhguru, what you're doing is great, but we will sleep on it. So I knew I had to play little yo-yo with their emotions. So that's why I got onto the motorcycle, 30,000 kilometers, 27 nations, through all kinds of terrains and weather. And uh, in this uh, hundred days of riding, I did 697 events. So people thought I will die and they all woke up because they saw the risky risk that I was taking on a daily basis, they all woke up and our metrics on July 23rd shows that we have touched 3.91 billion people, 79 nations have declared that they will adopt the safe soil policy and we are further going on to make sure everybody else does. I also spoke at COP15 where all the nations on the planet were represented, they have all in principle agreed. Now, I have no doubt that safe soil policy will become a reality. Our only concern now is pace and speed. As I said, speed is a concern because time is limited, especially for this biodiversity loss that's happening. On an average, according to UNFAO, 27,000 species of organisms are going extinct per year. At this rate, if we go, approximately in twenty-five to forty years from today, what is right now a slide will go into your tumble. Once it glow goes into your tumble, there is nothing that you can do or I can do. All we have to do is sit back and watch maybe ten, twenty, thirty percent of humanity getting wiped out out of hunger in a most terrible way. When that many people go hungry, they will make sure all civilization in the world is pulled down. Anarchy will happen everywhere once people are hungry, a certain percentage of people are hungry. So the twenty-year-olds that you're talking to, you must understand, my ride was for their life. I'm okay. All I have to do, if things get very bad, I have to just die ten years early, it's all right. But their life, if it has to happen well, it is very important, biodiversity is restored in our agricultural soils. They must go to the website and educate themselves about what is safe soil policy, why it is most important, and it needs neither rocket science, nor does it need enormous financial outlays. All it needs is facing the right direction and a relentless commitment. Within six to eight years, the world's soil can be restored. Very much possible to do it. it sounds powerful. I, I understand the Isha Foundations in Tamil Nadu, I've actually spent a few times, I've gone a few times to Tamil Nadu and remember some of the soil challenges and opportunities that were being worked on. What can the average person do to help save soil? See, uh, when we say average person do, everybody's thinking of rolling up their sleeves and fixing a small patch of kitchen garden in their backyard. That is very cute, but that is not a solution. 
Because we are talking about agricultural soils which account for nearly sixty-five to seventy percent of the world's land, all right? If this has to be fixed, we need a policy change. And policy change can only… because farm economy is so fragile, it can only be an incentive-driven policy change. If this has to happen, when democratic governments are elected for four to five years term, and in between your prime ministers are resigning, all right, uh, generally two, three years is what they're lasting in a whole lot of countries. How will you expect them to do something which may bear result after eight years or ten years or twelve years or fifteen years? There is no incentive for any politician or political leader to do it. So it's very important, at least sixty percent of the adult population stands up and expresses their concern for the future of their well-being, the future of the nations in which we live and the future of our children. Never before sixty percent of the population has ever asked for anything like this. They're only asking, reduce the gas price a little bit, give me one percent discount in my tax rate. This is the nonsense they're asking and they're getting those things. No long-term involvement of citizenry. How do you expect a democratic government, democratically elected government? When you say a democratically elected government means you pick some guy and put him right on the top and make him believe he's a king. And after four years, you just trash him somewhere where he becomes oblivion. If you had a profession like this, you would also be concerned in producing maximum results in those four years and get elected one more time, isn't it so? Let's… let's understand the problem properly. So it's very important if sixty percent of the population, adult population, stands up and expresses themselves and keeps their voice up. This is the business right now. Today you have gadgets in your hand where you can sit in your home and talk to the entire world. I'm telling these twenty-year-old people that you have, one of them, even if one of them really is committed, with today's technology that you have, you can touch the sixty percent of the population that I'm talking about. But right now, we have already activated millions of people and we have touched billions of people. Now is the time that the young people should keep up the voice that we are concerned about this, what is happening in my country. Every day, every day, every day, do that, write to your local representative, write to your prime minister. We got over 3.5 million letters written to heads of state across the world. Indian Prime Minister received about 1.7 million letters from children below twelve years of age. You think he can ignore it? Do you believe he will just ignore it? There is no way. If people want it, it'll happen. People have never expressed long-term concern. So this is the thing you need to do as a citizen of modern democratic nations, that you must use your voice and today you have an incredible voice because of technology. This is the first time we can talk to the entire world sitting where we are. When you have such a power, if we don't transform the world now, when will we do it? Wow. I think a lot of people will hear that. Sadhguru, what do you hope is the legacy you leave behind? Me? <laughs> You're asking what footprint I want to live? Leave? Uh, no, those who leave footprints or are concerned about leaving footprints, they shall never fly. Footprint is not my concern. I have… Uh, I have created hundreds, if not thousands of tools for people's transformation. If they use these tools and empower themselves, enhance themselves, that will be the living legacy. I don't want to leave any monument behind me. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm too alive for a monument <laughs> Sadhguru, thank you for joining us on the Icons by Motiversity. It's been a real honor. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Come visit us at the yoga center, it'll be an incredible experience for you. Please come. We, we would love to. Yes. Namaskaram to you and all your viewers, namaskaram.